Welcome to Connecting the Community podcast. I am your host, Marge Andre. I will be connecting you to people, organizations, and events that create community. I am creating this podcast in Richmond Hill, an eclectic and very culturally diverse community with lots of trees and streams and interesting people just up the hill from Toronto. On this podcast, I will be talking with David West, the mayor of Richmond Hill. He has been a CTC podcast guest before. For this podcast, we're going to talk about the budget. Not so much about the numbers, but really how the decisions about what is in or is not in the budget, how that's made. And I want to hear what we have to look forward to. Welcome, David. Thanks, Marge. It's great to be here. Yeah, I'm glad we've, we found the time to do this. So, David, I read the media release about the budget. There is a $7.94 per month increase for the $2.12 million operating budget for the average home. There's a stormwater, a wastewater budget, add a little more to our property taxes, and only about a quarter of our tax bill is actually for municipal services. But... With that said, what I really want to ask you to talk about is, you know, how is it decided? What is funded, or you know, what what gets in the budget? Uh, you've heard, you know, there is a need to increase services for lots of things: older adults, swim classes, outdoor skating rinks, bylaw officers. But what is the process? Who is involved? That's a good question, Marge, and it, it's it's probably one that uh, not everybody thinks about all, every day. Uh, if you're not an elected official, um, the the budget process really is you know the the rubber meets the road. We make decisions on the budget around this time of year every year, but the budget process starts uh, pretty much right after the last budget has been passed, and um, there's a number of different things that that factor into that. Um, you know, the, the staff will analyze, uh, you know, what is going on in the community, what the needs are, what any legislative changes are, uh, which happens uh, quite frequently, uh, increased needs to deliver this service or that service or, or enhance this service or change that service. So that's one thing. Um, we have a whole bunch of guiding and foundational documents uh, in a municipality, our uh, transportation master plan, our strategic plan, our environment plan, our recreation and culture plans. I mean, all these other plans that guide the investments that we have committed to making. And the budget is very much a document that, like you said in the introduction, that there's lots and lots of numbers. Um, you know, your, your eyes tend to glaze over maybe after a while, but at the end of the day, the budget is the the monetary reflection of what we're going to value and what we're going to invest in in our community. And really, at the end of the day, I remind myself that whenever I think about the budget, it's it's all about the services that we're going to provide, the level of services that we're going to provide those services at, and um, and what we're we're going to be investing in for the future to make the community better. Really, I mean that's what it's always all about. You don't have a whole bunch, many lobbying groups coming, knocking on your door, trying to get something in the budget. 
Sometimes we do. Um, and, and there's certainly, I mean, people don't necessarily have to have a lobbying group in order for us to recognize the needs in the community, right? I mean, as elected officials, we're, we're phoned up every single day by, um, you know, people who are looking to have this service or this service or uh, an enhancement of the level of service for this service or that service. And um, as an elected official, you know, we always make sure that we're cognizant of the the numbers reflect what our citizens are telling us. I mean, are we providing enough recreation services? Are we providing enough fire and emergency services? Are we uh, providing enough, um, you know, uh, park services, soccer uh, fields, baseball diamonds, ice time, uh, and all of those things uh, get collected by our staff, by collected by elected officials, and go into kind of uh, reflecting the, the needs of the community. And, and the budget really is a way to, um, to reflect those needs and to put the money in and the investment in so that we can meet those needs. Okay. Okay. Thank you for that. Now, this whole budget process, as you it, it's to me, it seems very onerous. I know you have run a business. Uh, but I do assume that you and the other councillors that make decisions on the budget are not accountants. Does the city accountants, do they like sit you down and have tutorials? Yeah, I mean, so, you know, the the budget team, and that includes all of the staff in the entire uh, corporation and, and including all of us as elected officials, um, we all have various uh, life experiences and various, various skill sets. Um, you know, the accountants that we have on our staff are the ones that do the number crunching. They're, they're the ones that do that deep analysis and and so on. We have lots of people on our staff that that are always constantly charged with looking for ways to deliver the services more efficiently. I mean, any of our uh, staff are constantly out looking for that kind of thing. But, you know, as I said, you it's not just the accountants that are making this work. It's it's the uh, it's a team of different people with different uh, skill sets that bring all of this experience, all of these needs together, and have them reflected um, in whatever you know, however the budget ends up in the end. Um, so yes, there there is some. I mean, this is I guess this is probably my tenth or eleventh budget uh, that I've gone through on council, and I, and I will say that in the first year or two as a brand new counselor way back when, um, this was more daunting a task than it is now. And, and I, I will fully admit that it is a, a, a budget is a very large um, document. It encompasses an enormous amount of money and it also an enormous investment in our community. Um, and there are a lot of intricacies. It takes uh, a great deal of delving into it and looking at those numbers carefully. Um, but, you know, we're not doing that alone. We do have uh, a really great staff in our financial services division that, um, you know, helps to uh, to synthesize the information so that we can all understand it. Okay, so you have not got your accountant degree. So yeah. No, <laughs> I, I will say, Marge, too, that one of the things in this budget that was different, and it's kind of related to this question, maybe, is um, the, the government has given strong mayor powers um, to many municipalities, including Richmond Hill. And the strong mayor power legislation dictates that the budget when presented uh, is the mayor's budget. It's a little different than it has been in the past. However, in Richmond Hill, I've elected to make sure that we continue doing the budget process in the same way that we've always done it. We've had uh, 
several public meetings uh, that we've uh, t- had the budget introduced in, in all kinds of detail. And the council has been fully engaged in, in uh, looking at the budget, giving feedback to the budget, making any amendments to the budget, and so on and so forth. So in that respect, nothing has changed, even though Legally, the responsibility does fall to the mayor. Uh, I've made sure that our council is fully engaged in this process. And as a matter of fact, uh, at the end of this process, uh, the budget that was presented uh, was presented unanimously uh, by all nine of us. And I think that's a real testament to the thoroughness of the process that we've gone through and making sure, frankly, that all nine members of council uh, give their input. We have nine great uh, people that are serving in our community on our council and for us to not be leveraging all of their experience and their knowledge and their representation of their uh, residents would be a, a waste. So we've made sure that we maintain that. I remember you saying, I think it was back in the summer, um, that the provincial government's decision to change development charges was a real concern for you. And I know they've retracted some things but I can't figure out really where you are now. Um, is the city in a better position financially? Are there still concerns? Yes, there are. And I mean, without delving into, I mean, this is probably a topic for a whole separate mm-hmm. podcast, which mm-hmm. I'm happy to do at some point. Um, the, the good news is some of the concerns that I've had in the past, uh, there has been some pretty strong signals by Minister of Municipal Affairs and Housing, Paul Calandra, uh, at an Ontario big city mayor's call that we had just this past week, uh, that there are some, finally, some movement there to be re-examining some of the more uh, onerous and contentious parts of Bill 23 that caused me uh, some great concern. Now, the bad news is they haven't been finalized yet to our our satisfaction, but I'm glad that we're talking about this. Um, but generally speaking, the concerns that I have in a, in a, in a nutshell are... Uh, there, there's a whole principle that as a community grows, the growth that is represented in that community is paid for by that growth. So as we grow, the burden doesn't fall on existing taxpayers. It, the growth pays for itself. With Bill 23, development charges, which are monies that we can collect when any new development happens in order to pay for the growth that, that, that those units represent, uh, will is jeopardized. Um, There are a number of things that have now been passed and finalized, like uh, at the regional uh, region of York level, the regional level, um, we can no longer collect development charges to pay for social housing. So this is government uh, approved, our government housing that is way below market rent and for people that are having struggles to to pay even the basic amount for for uh, rent and the wait list on that housing is is really long like in some cases it's 10 years um, for us not to be able to collect development charges to further uh, development of that type of housing is very problematic because that means that those uh, those wait lists are just going to get longer um, but there's also uh, other exemptions on development charges which have not all been finalized yet but they do jeopardize the ability for the growth that it represents to pay for itself. And the problem with that is that if the new libraries or the new fire halls or the new uh, infrastructure that that growth requires is not paid for by the units themselves, where does that money come from? Mm -hmm. Uh, Will it come from another source like the provincial government? Well, we don't know. And there's been nothing committed. Uh, But failing that, 
I think we really only have two choices in a municipality. That's do without, which in my mind would not be acceptable, or have the taxpayers pay for it, which is also not acceptable. Um, so I have a lot of concerns about Bill 23. And, you know, there are some of the increase that you're going to see on this year's tax bill, um, particularly reflected on the regional share of the tax bill, will have some reflection on uh, that reduction in development charge collection. And and it's not acceptable and it's going to get worse mm-hmm. uh, unless the government can come up with a solution. Okay. And, and by the way, um, I have spent the last year advocating uh, our position on that and I will continue to do so. Um, th- it really needs to change. It's a real concern for municipalities like Richmond Hill. Okay, well, thank you for doing that uh, that work and let's hope... Uh, change is made. Now, you've mentioned about social housing, but housing in general, like that is the topic. Uh, mm-hmm. it, and it's a complicated issue. Now, does the housing crisis affect our budget? Well, I mean, in municipalities like Richmond Hill don't actually build houses, right? Mm-hmm. We approve units to be built. We don't actually do the building. That's up to the private market. And in some cases, government contracted housing. But for the most part, um, housing that's affordable to more people, which is what I would expand the definition of of housing, affordable housing, um, is built by the private market. And um, we, it it is a real crisis, I agree. I mean, we, it is probably the number one thing that keeps me up at night in municipality, you know, as mayor and in a municipality like Richmond Hill, that we need to be able to provide housing that's affordable for our kids, affordable for uh, people who are moving here from other places, uh, and frankly, for for older people who want to downsize but still stay in their munis- in the municipality that they have their doctors and their friends and maybe their family, um, but and maybe free up some equity so that they can afford to retire. So this affects so many people. Um, we're not talking about really inexpensive housing. We're talking about moderately priced housing, but uh, we have very little of it in in Richmond Hill. Mm-hmm. So um, there are things that we can do in, in municipalities like Richmond Hill, uh, but we have limited jurisdiction over directly influencing the amount of housing that's built because we don't build housing. But we recently received uh, a 31 a million dollar grant from the federal government for the housing accelerator fund and it's it's initiatives like that and money like that that we can use uh, to incentivize um, housing to streamline the process so that we can get more housing approved so that it can be built and ultimately um, try to chip away at the problem of housing that's you know that's not there right now that's affordable to more people yeah I just heard the number of people saying they're moving out of Richmond Hill is just too expensive. And I'm thinking, hmm, yep. is, is the population going down? No, no, no we are growing. But I mean, I, I think the thing is with, with this issue is that, I mean, we need a complete community. We need people living here, um, you know, to not, it doesn't matter what income range you're at. We, we want to make a welcoming and inclusive community. Um, and I think that's really the number one reason. But, you know, from I, you know, an economic development point of view, uh, we need people that are going to be in different income ranges to live in our city. Uh, we have an economy that we depend on businesses to provide services for us. And we have people working in those services in a range of different income ranges. And, you know, if we don't 
give uh, an opportunity for some of those people who live fairly close to where they work, um, we are going to be less competitive and that affects all of us. So the housing affordability issue, really, there won't be anybody in our community that it doesn't affect in a very direct way. Yeah. Okay. Very good. Uh, something I've wondered about is the cost for the municipality to deliver services generally less when there's denser housing, like, you know, garbage collection is faster, fewer sidewalks to clear. Um, is that, is that an issue? Is that a ca- the case? Um, I, I think on, on a very general level, and I, there are some caveats to this, um, but on a general level, um, you know, the whole problem with urban sprawl, which is really the opposite of what you're talking about, is that, you know, with people living in bigger lots and more far-flung uh, spaces between uh, settlement areas, you know, you need more pipes, you need more roads, you need more far-flung uh, community amenities like parks and, and um, re- recreational facilities, arenas, libraries, that kind of thing. Um, a, a more compact uh, community allows us to share uh, expensive infrastructure uh, more efficiently. Mm-hmm. Um, however, you know, like anything that we do at a municipal level, there's no one extreme or the other extreme. Everything's in the middle. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, we are through our official plan and 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 the plan that we've had for many years now, um, we will be looking for intensification to, to, uh, to live here. Um, but we'll be doing that in a variety of ways. I mean, along our centers and corridors, which in Richmond Hill's case primarily means along the Young Street spine, we will see significant intensification. And there will be nodes along that spine, like, for example, at, at 16th Avenue and um, Young Street and at Highway 7 and Young Street, and to a lesser degree at, at Bernard and Young in, in the northern part of our uh, the, the spine, where the intensity will be a little bit higher even than the areas in between. Okay. But I think at the same time, we want very much to be able to offer um, the established communities that are so important to Richmond Hill in the state, roughly, that they're in right now. And, you know, if we were able to uh, achieve that uh, successfully, which I'm, I know we will be able to, we would be able to have a wide variety of different housing styles and types and forms and and, and characters um, that people could choose to live. And I, and I think that's really, at the end of the day, um, the definition of a, co- a complete community. And I really do believe we have the uh, ability uh, to achieve that in, in Richmond Hill over, over time. And yes, there are some advantages from a infrastructure cost point of view uh, to be building our new developments you know, roughly in that direction. Okay, that's interesting. I've never heard Young Street referred to as a spine. I think I like that word for it, to describe it. So, yeah, okay. Well, yeah, I would I would argue that uh, Young Street is probably the spine of Ontario, right? Yeah. I mean, it's the longest road, I think, in mm-hmm. the world, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. And, uh, you know, one of the reasons that Richmond Hill has always been successful for the 150 years that we've been incorporated as a, as a community is that we were the center of the greater Toronto area universe. I mean, young street is the literally the center of that, uh, of that. So it's a very, very important aspect of our community as it is in other communities that it runs through as well. Yeah, no, it gives us lots of potential. So interesting. Now Mm -hmm. in the press release about the budget, the firefighters got specific mention. 
a fair amount of money has been allocated mm-hmm. to increase both staffing and uh, equipment. Can you talk about that? One of the absolutely foundational things in building a, a great community is uh, to be able to offer a community that's safe. And, you know, fire and emergency services in uh, in a municipal context uh, is very important. Uh, it it is a it is admittedly a fairly expensive uh, part of our budget. Um, it, you know, it, it it eats up quite a bit of of the municipal tax um, thing. But at the end of the day, um, you know, when those services are needed in our community, and and they are on a daily basis by different people, um, we want to make sure that we can respond quickly. We want to make sure that the people that are responding are very well trained and able to to help. And, you know, that is absolutely the most important thing uh, for me as a mayor, but also especially for those that are looking for uh, those services when they're needed. Mm-hmm. Um, so there are provincial standards and national standards for firefighters of various you know, various levels of service and so on. But we want to make sure that we're uh, meeting those levels. And, and most importantly, we're able to respond quickly, efficiently and effectively uh, for any of those services when we need it. I will add that uh, at a uh, and uh, at the level of the um, uh, regional budget where the York Regional Police stand, the police are also a very big part of the regional budget. And I could say very similar things about the the police budget, as I said about the regional, or sorry about the fire budget. Um, you know, when police services are needed, it's all part of that uh, that. Uh, part of our service that we expect the police to be able to respond and keep our community safe. And, uh, and they are a big part of the budget, but it's also a foundational part of the budget. And, you know, we are investing at the regional level in more police services as we grow as well. Okay. Have the, has the issue of having so many high rises, has that affected the fire the firefighters? It does. Um, you know, I mean, it's more people we need uh, more, We'll, we'll need more fire services. Um, but also as the typology of the building mm-hmm. forms changes, we need we would be responding differently. Mm-hmm. You know, I know that there's kind of this idea that, you know, uh, as the buildings get higher, the fire, you know, the firefighters will go up ladders up to the tops of the buildings. That's not always how it works. But mm-hmm. uh, but the way that they would respond to a high rise may be what well, will be different than it would be uh, responding to a ground related single attached home. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you know, that's, we are well equipped to do that. And, uh, as we grow and as, as our land, you know, the built form landscape in our community changes, our fire department will be changing just as they have in the past. They will continue to change in the future to respond to that, uh, that need as well. Okay. Thank you. Something else I've wondered about. Okay. Let's say we have almost no snow this winter. And you, the budget that you've allocated for snow removal isn't needed. What happens with the extra money? Like, do you put it into a waiting list and the next thing gets it? Or do you put it into next year? That's an excellent question. And interestingly enough, some years we spend more than we had budgeted because Mother Nature decides that's the way it's going to be. And some years uh, we spend less. 
And in a year where we spend less than what we've set aside in that particular line item, that extra money will go to a, uh, a reserve fund so that in the years that the snow removal budget goes a little bit over budget, we will then be able to use that um, to so that there, you know, the, the tax rate remains stable. We don't have peaks and valleys uh in 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 what we need and and we have reserve funds for a number of different things in the city like that and the reserve funds aren't in all cases so in some cases it's like a rainy day fund but in in many cases it's exactly for that it's a it's a bit of money that we that's kept uh in reserve for when there are peaks and valleys in an unpredictable uh, budget like snow removal or or things like that Okay, so no new parks get built if we don't have any snow this winter. Well, it wouldn't be used for specifically for that purpose, okay. but I, I will I will say though that that uh, there is a parks plan mm -hmm. and it outlines the the future needs uh, for for building parks themselves, but also for revitalizing parks, and that's all really well modeled and scheduled so that uh, we avoid peaks and valleys in those investments by simply making sure that we're, we're planning really, really well. Okay. Okay. So can you mention some things that the city has done in this past year that you're like really enthused, proud of, and what do we, what do we have to look forward to? Yeah. So, um, I mean, there's been many, many things that we, that we've done. Um, you know, we, the, the city in the last number of years, but especially in the last year has finished up a number of uh, really important, and foundational guiding documents that will serve us well into the future. Uh, the most recent one, I think, is the Transportation Master Plan. And the Transportation Master Plan will guide investments in our community for everything from walking trails to lane widenings to additional roads being built um, to you know automation to traffic safety, all this different, all the different things that you can think of with regard to all the different forms of transportation that we have and advocating for public transportation and so on. It is a, been a number of years in the making, um, but it's an incredibly important uh, document because the costs of building that infrastructure are quite uh, high and it outlines what we need, maybe what we don't need, but also what we need and when we need it. And it helps to uh, for us to plan um, the investments that we're going to be making that we wouldn't be able to make all in one year, but we can mm -hmm. we can make them as the need uh, approaches and hopefully before the need becomes critical. And, you know, that's that's a part of it as well. Um, you know, we continue along with with the good work that we've been doing on the environment plan. Um, we've been doing a lot of work around uh, climate resiliency and, um, you know, adapting to climate change, but also preventing the impacts of uh, things getting worse. Mm -hmm. um, one of the things within that kind of uh, environment envelope, we uh, passed our city as being a bird friendly uh, community. Uh, interestingly enough, I, I, I couldn't believe my eyes. Uh, just yesterday, I, I watched a bald eagle uh, fly over Richmond Hill. I don't think I've ever seen that before, but it was absolutely certainly a bald eagle. So um, I'm hoping that uh, that bald eagle will tell all of his friends that Richmond Hill is a bird friendly community. <laughs> Um, uh, but, but the other birds might not, might not like that. <laughs> you never know, actually. That's yeah. true. Um, but I'll leave that up to them. Okay. The, uh, there's a there's a bunch of other uh, things, though, that are going on. I, I am really proud of this council. I think they've 
done a really good job. One of the very first things that I did as mayor is we signed a pledge on, on you know, making sure that we're going to be treating each other, treating our staff and treating the public with respect. Um, and, and I believe we've done that. I think this has been a very um, good year on council. We've made some difficult decisions. We've had healthy debate and we've done it in a way that I think we can all be proud of. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the budget, obviously, passing the budget recently was a very important step. We do that every year. Good results for the community as well. Okay. And what do we have to look forward to in 2024? Well, there's lots. Um, you know, we we are. I'm looking forward to making progress and 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 working with other levels of government, as we talked about before, to address uh, the housing affordability issue. Um, we, you know, it is a daunting task, uh, but I think that it is exciting to think that we can um, make a difference and and you know build more housing that's affordable to more people. I think that's really really important. Um, one of the the other things that that we've done uh, within the last little while is is um, uh, pass the Mill Pond Park Master Plan, which uh, kind of outlines the investments that we'll make in the Mill Pond Park in the coming years. Uh, that'll be a multi year process, but uh, that'll be an important thing as we move forward. Um, we've got the the David Dunlop Observatory Master Plan that's coming along nicely. We've uh, received some funding. Uh, a grant funding from the government uh, for a bridge over the CN tracks to allow more people from that side of the track to access the the park on the east side of the track. Um, and I, I mean, parks are a really important part of our community. So I think that's um, that's going to be something to uh, to look forward to. Okay. Those are good things. Is there anything else that you wanted to add? No, I mean, I think it's, I really appreciate the opportunity to get the word out, Marge. It's, uh, it's, you know, sometimes, you know, municipal politics is not the most uh, exciting thing on people's minds. But I mean, I've always been very cognizant of the fact that, you know, uh, municipal politics has always been my passion, because it's where I live. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's, it's the kind of thing where, you know, you get phone calls from people about issues that are really important to them and they're very important in the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and I think, you know, I've always really loved the, our, our community in Richmond Hill. And I, I think we've got a, a tough year ahead on a number of fronts. I mean, I think the financial realities that we're all facing are going to make it challenging. Um, the conflict that's going on in the world right now, I think is really testing a lot of us. And, um, you know, I've seen our community come together uh, many times before, uh, during the pandemic, during the ice storm, and during other difficult times. And I have no doubt that we have the capacity to do this again. Um, you know, I, I've been encouraging everybody to, you know, overachieve on the kindness and the compassion uh, part of what we you know, what we are as a community, and I know we can get through this. And, uh, and I, I really do look with uh, hope uh, for the year to come. I think, uh, you know, our community has a bright future ahead. Very nice. I do end the podcast with a guest response to the question. Name one thing you really like about this community, and it's one thing. I can't remember what you said last time, but uh, what, what comes to mind right now is your the one thing that you really like? Oh, one thing that's really, really hard for, for me. Um, mm-hmm. 
I, I think that the, the, the one thing that I, I think we do really, really well, and I've always been really, really proud of is, uh, working to respect and preserve the natural environment. And, uh, you know, I know that's a hard thing as we grow, because as we grow, we are, you know, pushing the, 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 the natural environment in some areas, but I think we've worked hard to protect the green spaces and the places that we cherish so much. And, uh, and, and invest in the in the parks and the open spaces that we also really love, uh, and I, I think that the uh, that all of that combined and the commitments that we've made uh, to continue to protect the natural environment in Richmond Hill is something that I'm very proud of. And uh, and frankly, you know, given that we we live right on the Oak Ridge's moraine, I, I really have always felt it's a bit of a moral imperative that uh, you know, given that we're the headwaters of you know. The credit, uh, sorry, not the Credit River, the uh, Humber River, the um, Don River, uh, the the Rouge River. Um, you know, I, I think this is really important that we continue to to do the best job we can. Okay, okay, I will try to put one word down from all of that, and I. All right, <laughs> good luck. <laughs> <laughs> That's a no. Uh, I I think next year I'm going to put them in a spreadsheet of what people like, and I'm going to send it to you because I think you will really like to hear all yeah. these positive things. It really is. It's been a pleasure to hear people's what's, what, what do you like? And there's been good things. Food actually has come up there often. So, but uh, I like natural environment too. Okay. I will put uh, the but link to the actual budget. If you, someone really wants to go through all the numbers, but um uh, Thank you, David, for taking the time to do this podcast. You're very welcome, Arch. Thank you. Thank you for listening. I would very much appreciate you sharing this podcast. Please tune in next week as we continue to explore the community. Consider emailing me at marge, M-A-R-J, at margeandre.com. I welcome suggestions for podcast guests. Stay well. Stay connected.